Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. This episode, it's all about performance. X299 and the hardware bot of Rookie Rumble. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. One of the hot new items coming out of Computex this year was the Intel X299 chipset and associated LGA 2066 processors. 2066 processor? No, wait a minute. What is LGA? I feel L- like I should know that. Uh, LGA is Land Grid Array. That's what it stands for. And that's the socket type that Intel has been using and supposedly AMD with the new Threadripper. But that puts the pins not on the CPU, but in the socket on the motherboard. Oh, okay. And in the way of damage and anything you drop on there, if you look at it funny, you bend a pin and then you throw away the whole board. Well, it sounds like it might be good for overclocking setups, but okay. So what does this X299 and this new processor bring to the table? I mean, it, it's been a while since we've had, I think, a distinctive chipset change. I mean, since KB Lake, right? Well, we had KB Lake and uh, Skylake, and we had chipsets associated with that with the, like, the Z270, and now we have an X299. So Intel's trying to bring their marketing together, I guess. Or you could just say they've added 200 to the X99. <laughs> there you go. Either way, I mean, it's a new chipset platform supporting a new processor, which is the Intel Norm. And I did a first look on the EVGA X299 Dark that was shown at Computex. Now, this is sounding really familiar to me, and, and, and the picture is kind of impressive, too. Let me get back to that. But I know I've been seeing a lot of news about the X299 motherboards on the overclocking forums yeah there is a lot of overclocking that happened at computex which is a norm for computex you know that's kind of what they do and since x299 is the hot thing that's what they were doing the evga x299 dark is what i would call a maximus 9 apex clone and that's not to be confused with the Apex that they're going to have for X299, but the Z270 version of it, where the PCB on that board doesn't follow a straight line. You have these little cutouts and stuff to make it a little bit more ornate, I guess. I see that. Yeah, so EVGA has kind of borrowed that. They've also borrowed the 2DIMM socket solution for memory, whereas on the Apex board, it only had two DIMM slots. It had basically one memory slot for a bank of memory so instead of having four you only had two you can increase your memory frequency up to the 4133 4200 range which is somewhat impossible on some of the older more consumer ready motherboards well what i'm really drawn to is this looks like a gigantic heat sink on what i would normally say is a northbridge cooler yeah and that's something that um it goes against what EVGA has said ever since the beginning, saying, well, we don't put fans on our heat sinks unless we have to, because that's a failure point. And now they're putting a fan on here. Not just a fan. It's impressive. And it looks like, is it blowing out to the back of the case too? So it's a rear exhaust? It, pretty much. So that fan is there to cool the, um, the MCP or the Southbridge chip and also blow air over the M.2 socks oh now that is news okay so that's the first time i've seen an implementation with active cooling on an m.2 yeah well m.2 drives they've have been notably warm i guess and warms to the point that uh, motherboard manufacturers are offering heat sinks for them and okay. that's kind of like a selling point i would think that the aftermarket would 
put the heat sinks on there first, but in some cases you don't need the heat sink. So with this motherboard solution, with this active cooling fan on here, it pushes air over the M.2 slot so that it will cool that drive. It also gives you a nice fancy covering that fills that gap in between the first and third PCI Express slot. It also goes down toward the bottom at uh, between, what is it, 6 and 8, or 6 and 7. Now, I'm also looking at the memory specs, and I know we talked about the memory, the Trident Z memory in the main this month, so you check that out if you haven't already, but am I seeing right that this Apex clone would mean that it supports the 4133 DDR4 as well? Mm-hmm. That is listed on the spec sheet. Very nice. Up to 64 gigabytes, which is pretty flippin' awesome. And the other thing that I think is really great is that it supports four-way SLI, which means that it has enough space in between all the PCI Express slots to support four cards, which is something that, um, you know, basically NVIDIA says, no, we're not going to support that unless, you know, a third-party manufacturer wants to do it. And uh, that third party would be um, like benchmark suppliers. Not necessarily games or anything, but like if you're going to run um, Time Spy from FutureMark, All right. you'll be able to run four cards in SLI. Well, I think that's a great opportunity to talk a little bit more about overclocking because I've been kind of looking at the records lately and, and the big news in overclocking, and especially with the introduction of these Ryzen uh, processors, we've seen a lot of overclocking news, and that's very exciting too, I think. But what I'm seeing is a real trend and I think you're seeing it too, mm-hmm. in the hardware that's being used right now on HardwareBot to make all these uh, cup submissions and world records, if you will. Yeah, so from Computex, we had a number of records that were being released. And right now I'm on HardwareBot scrolling down to find the actual release here. Intel Core X Series launch 11 world records, 30 global first places. Well, that certainly sounds impressive. It does. The global first place is basically the fastest in category, but the world record is fastest for the benchmark, I believe, or something like that. So, But if you go down the list here, we could see you know, Gigabyte X299 SoC Champion, which is their X299 board. We have the RG Rampage, what is that? Nine Apex, Rampage Nine Apex. That's actually going to be a pretty awesome board. Is that nine or six? Oh, that's six. That's six? Yeah, Rampage Six Apex. Okay, so there we go, six. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Champion X Power Gaming AC, which is the MSI but board. Another 299. We have a ton of Rampage ones. We have another X Power. We have another X Power. But this whole list, I don't see any non 299s on there and i feel like in another tie-in to our main episode every single one of these records on the front page is using that trident z memory that is true and i'm going to say that's partially a sponsor but the um it's also gskill has typically offered the fastest memory modules for ddr4 and had them supported on all of the major boards that you could get. So if you had your MSI board, for instance, you dropped a G-Skill memory module on there, you could be guaranteed that that would actually be supported. Whereas with some of the off-brand ones, like not to knock Crucial, but you can't run a Crucial chip on an X99 as fast as you can a G-Skill. I get that, but I got to tell you, 
it has been a long time since I've seen such parody in the hardware platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when we're talking about, I mean, these are some hardcore sponsored overclockers from a lot of factory teams all using the same chipsets and the same memory. And that's that's mm-hmm. really amazing. Yeah. Well, what else is amazing is what we are seeing records in. So with the X-Series, we have um, a Core i7 and also a Core i9. And then there is a varied list of core options. So we have, what is it, the Core i7-7740K, which a lot of the YouTube channels, uh, which is something I mentioned in the main channel, or then in the main show, they're getting all kind of crybaby about it. It's like, well, why is this here? Because it's it doesn't make any sense. It's a four-core, eight-thread CPU, supports a dual-channel memory, and I think it has like 16 lanes of PCI Express which makes it less than a Core i7-7700 KB Lake processor. It's just, it's on a larger platform to be put into this board. Well, from an overclocking standpoint, those chips are running 7.5 gigahertz. Wow, yeah. That's a huge, impressive boost over stock. Yeah, so we have um, DeBowers running a PyFast score. It was one of the records that was submitted on Liquid Helium. Ooh. 7.49 gigahertz. That's that's very impressive. And that's going to be like full pot, cool down the max. Uh, we have Team AU using that a similar processor, the 7740K. We're doing a 3D Mark 3 score. They're running, what, 7.1 gigahertz on liquid nitrogen? Still impressive. Very wow. impressive. And this is something that you... You could run a KB Lake, a regular one, around 7 gigahertz, but you're going to be putting almost 2 volts into it, and you have to run full pot, and it doesn't actually work on benchmarks that go for a long time. It's mostly for, like, you know, just seeing the score. This is allowing you to run a real 3D-based benchmark for the entire time at that speed. So that is very impressive in terms of what can be done with this new processor. Now, if we look at some of the other scores, we have Elmore, he submitted a Cinebench R11.5 on a, what is it, Core i7-7800X Skylake on liquid helium at 5.9. 5.9 gigahertz. So we're seeing a disparity between, this is almost 6 gigahertz on a multi-core. This is like a 6-core, 12-thread CPU, I believe. That's quite a bit. That's a gigahertz between those two CPUs. And that's partially because of the architecture, Skylake versus KB Lake, but also how many cores is there and how many cores you have to cool down to make it run that fast. That's Yeah, that's impressive. And I'm seeing some parity also, of course, in the GTX 1080 tie. Mm-hmm. And definitely that chipset, the X299. So I was a little lukewarm to the 299, sort of in that tick-tock sort of frame of mind. But it looks like it might actually be a pretty incremental step forward. Yeah, definitely in the performance realm and like overclocking like this. So let's do another one. Vivi, he is running 3D Mark Time Spy, which is a DirectX 12 benchmark, primarily a video card based one. But he's running a Core i9 7900X. He's at, at 5.35 on liquid nitrogen. And that's a quite a few more cores. So uh-huh. the frequency being reduced really makes sense there. Now he's got, it looks like a 1080 tie, though, pushing some pretty impressive numbers too. 
Which makes sense since the benchmark is a, a video card bench. Yeah, but that's like, that's 2.5 gigahertz on a 1080 tie. That's that's insane. That's, you know, 2000 is the limit for the most part on a lot of those Pascal chips. And with the 1080 tie, we're running well past that. That's impressive. And I'm I'm a little disappointed to not know what particular 1080 tie he's running. Yeah, and well, you got to get that out there so we can chase it. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe that's the point. <laughs> I think that's the point. So let's do one more. Which one should we do here? I don't know. I'm just I'm looking. How about that uh, one that's on the MSI? That's the first MSI. <laughs> Overclocking Nights. That's kind of a cool name. So we're doing Hardware Bot Prime. This is one of the Hardware Bot specific benchmarks. Mm-hmm. G-Skill Memory as well. Now this is the first one that I've seen with the MSI motherboard. Mm-hmm. And they're running G-Skill memory again. The Core i7-7800X Skylake. Almost 5.9, just yeah. barely under. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we're seeing a, a clock ceiling, basically, for, you know, and this is like liquid nitrogen clock ceiling. So that is well past um, what normal people would be able to run. Let's what? see. Let's pull up his screenshot and see what kind of voltage is yeah, being listed. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, so CPU-Z is never really accurate with voltages, but it's saying one point something zero volts. So I'm guessing probably 1.6, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it looks very close to that. It's hard to tell sometimes in these screenshots. Mm-hmm. But the important part is looking at the numbers that were listed in the screenshot because that gives you an idea of like what the frequency combinations that were used to create that particular score. Well, more importantly, I think when you see a trend like that, it gives me a little bit of hope that... You're not just picking a bin golden sample, as we say, of the processes. There's a pretty good chance that out of the box, given the right environment and the right overclocking tools, that that's achievable with a really a larger majority of the processors, which is impressive. Yeah. And that kind of gets me thinking about, um, you know, some of the, the YouTubers that were really dissing on the X299 platform, saying that Intel is doing like a, a cash grab and how some of the processor releases were like knee-jerk reactions. And really, I don't see that at all because I see a lot of segmentation with the processors that are out there to fit a certain niche. So we have the Core i7-7740K, which is that four-thread, eight, or four-core, eight-thread CPU. That I see as being like the Pinium Anniversary Edition CPU, that really cheap CPU that was unlocked that you could just overclock the snot out of and right. it did great it was something fun for overclockers to play with and it, not expensive i mean that's yeah that's it was really you know that's budget overclocking yeah and that's that's cheap stuff well i see well here the the scores don't lie we have 7.5 <laughs> gigahertz 7.7 7 gigahertz basically can run a 3d benchmark with that cpu on liquid nitrogen that that's like world record store the stuff that you want to have. You find a good CPU and you can run that as much as you want. You blow it up, you buy another one. That's what that's for. Now you get into some of the larger CPUs with multiple threads, multiple cores. That's where your multi-threaded benchmarks are really going to take off. I think that's where I'm seeing the rah-rah over the Ryzen. And that makes sense, I think, based on the Ryzen architecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we have the Zen cores and they're basically infinitely scalable. So you can have multiple, you know, what, 1800Xs put onto a single die and then have 18 or what is it, 16 threads all available. And that's basically just adding more CPUs together. 
that's how Threadripper was put together. And that's just the start of it because we get enterprise CPUs that can basically add two of those onto the same motherboard or they just make larger dies with more cores. Well, that makes a lot more sense then with some of the crazy pictures I'm seeing of the Threadripper that just make it look gigantic. But really, we're just talking about multiple processors under the same lid. Yeah, pretty much. And I want to say that that's where Intel is different because with their high-end desktop CPUs like the, the Skylake and the KB Lake that are coming out, those are all a single die. And typically, Intel's always had the faster throughputs per core. So you have a per-core performance, whereas Threadripper is multi-core performance. So it only works in multi-threaded applications that are taking advantage of all those threads. Intel tends to work better for, you know, everything has been optimized for for the past 10 years. It's relatively fast per core. There's not a lot of applications that, that multi-thread efficiently. <laughs> right. that's, that's really hard to say. But um, like browsers, for instance, they say that web browsers are multi-thread optimized. So they work on multi-core CPUs. Well, you go to a site that has a lot of flash animations and a bunch of pictures. You see one thread getting pegged, but it's killing your C- your whole system because that one thread is busy. I think uh, for me, this is another case of going back to what we have talked about, I mean, really for years, that the hardware and the software are cyclical. So sometimes the hardware is ahead of the software, Mm -hmm. and the software can sometimes be ahead of the hardware. And this is definitely, I think, a case where with the multi-threading, the software is lagging behind the hardware. And that's, I think, very visible when we talk about the scalable architectures like the Threadripper, for example. Mm-hmm. And we look at the high-performance software that's out there that is multi-threaded. I mean, stuff that really needs the multi-threaded processing, like Photoshop-y stuff, for example. Yeah, we have Photoshop. We have video processing, which is why the YouTubers are getting all uppity-puppity about it, right? Right. That is something that can take advantage of those multiple threads. And the faster you can get through those threads the faster the process will be, or you add more threads. Right. So the the problem though, is that that is a very small niche of an already very small niche. And, you know, we have the high end desktop users like us, we game, we also run some Photoshop stuff here and there, but we don't do that all the time. So we don't necessarily need the high end desktop stuff except to say we have it. Oh yeah. We can get by with some of the mainstream stuff. And that is something that I, See, very clear with the X299 in the way that Intel's marketing it. They're saying this isn't for the mainstream. This is for the high-end desktop users, and that's why it's the high-end desktop segment. It's making a differentiation between, yeah, that's a big word, between the high-end desktop stuff and the workstation stuff because that's where you get into multi-core, multi-CPUs types workstations and servers, and that's their bread and butter, and that was something that, Intel has changed the way that they apply new technologies is going toward servers and workstations and everything else is rolling down to the high-end desktop. Okay, so we, I think, are talking more niche and I really am starting to see more of a target audience for the the Threadripper stuff and I had really kind of anticipated that being more of an enthusiast processor mm-hmm. than it maybe really is. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised based on the you know, the marketing efforts and the target audience that AMD has been chasing. Yeah. But I just, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> what is really the target audience for the X99 platform? Because I'm, I'm a little torn between the processors being pushed more towards the enthusiast, burn it up and buy another one aspect. Yeah. And then the contrast with the expense of the Trident Z memory and the X99 platform in general. 
I mean, are we really looking at a flash in the pan and and not a fully supported, scalable architecture? I mean, should we anticipate that there'll be more mainstream offerings on the X299? No, I don't think so. Um, and I, I'm going to draw a bunch of parallels to what is available in the mainstream, like the LGA 1150 stuff. So we have um, Pinning Anniversary Edition. This with KB Lake, we had a Core i3K series that had an unlocked um, multiplier. Those are just the enthusiast kinds of CPUs at the very low end. There are hundreds of other SKUs of those low end CPUs that fill in for like the OEM market and the business market. And those are ones that enthusiasts don't talk about because they aren't quote unquote unlocked. Now you, those are the inexpensive ones. Those are the ones you can buy and throw away. When you move up to the core I five and the core I seven, you have the same unlocked CPUs, which are the business ones. And there's hundreds of those. Well, maybe 30 or 40 of them. And then there's one unlocked one. And then you got the Core i7. You have one unlocked one. And then all these ones that are locked. If you look at the X299 sort of offerings, we have the exact same thing. We just don't have all of the other filler business chips. These are all unlocked. So we have the cheap one, which is the 7740K. That's the buy and throw away. We have the 6-core. We have the 10-core. We have, what, like an 18-core, which is supposed to be out later. That is just an incremental step saying, hey, we want to offer as many threads as possible to give our consumers what it is that they want. If you want to build a system with 18 threads, 18 18 cores, what are 36 threads or something like that, we have an option for you. But they're kind of clearly going, well, you want the Core i7 stuff, which is 6 cores, 10 cores, and which matches what's on X99. That makes it an easy transition. And it supports current software because we're not going to see a lot of multi-threaded stuff that's going to be widely available for the next few years. By then, we're going to upgrade our systems anyway. Right. So there is a parallel between the mainstream and the high-end desktop that a lot of people are kind of putting a blind eye to because they're looking at all of the differences between everything. And I think they're just being too nitpicky on something that is blatantly obvious between the two. Well, let's talk back a little more overclocking. Have you had a chance to put an X99 through the paces? I mean, what's been going on with the hardware bot competitive overclocking scene for us? Well, for us, me in particular, I haven't been able to do any competitive overclocking for quite a while. I've been dealing with uh, case modding and we're doing some high-end stuff with that, with water cooling. So I've kind of changed my focus away from that. But we have a team member on the Ninja Lane hardware bot team who is a rookie guy and he oh, won nice. he won three rookie rumbles in a row. Three? That sounds impressive. Yeah, so I'd like to give a shout out to Dino Max. He's one of the newest Ninja Lane hardware bot team members. All right, Dino Max. C- congratulations on being one a rookie because that is not very easy to do. It, you're limited in cooling. But also being able to optimize your system well enough to win three rookie rumbles. And part of it was just an insane XTU score. Nice. So now tell me a little bit about a rookie rumble. What does that mean? I mean, obviously that sounds like a kind of a novice overclocking contest. Yeah, that's basically it. So when you first sign up for Hardware Bot for the first three months or so, you are considered a rookie. And you can bust out of that rookie series by changing your cooling method or um, there's a couple of other things that disqualify you from the rookie portion of it. 
But as a rookie, you can enter the rookie rumbles where you compete against other rookies or other newbies that are into the whole overclocking scene. Nice. Okay. So it puts you kind of on equal ground, but Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you win? Prestige, money? It's partially prestige. And then of course your name gets mentioned on the Hardware Asylum podcast. If you happen to belong to the Ninja Lane team, but you also have uh, a couple of lucky draws. And for the past three or so, it's been some G-Skill gear. Nice. Which is very nice. But unfortunately, it's not uh, the winner gets a prize. It is just a random draw. So you have to participate to get it. And it's a it's a great competition for those that are just getting into it and getting their feet wet and having a taste of what it is to compete against somebody else on a world stage. Nice. So tell us if you were out there thinking about becoming a rookie and maybe winning some rumbles of your own. What would you uh, have to do? I mean, how do you get started? It's pretty easy. You just go out to HardwareBot or the OC Esports site, and you register for an account. You can register for a native account, or I believe you can link it in with uh, Facebook now, too, which is (laughs) pretty darn cool. And then um, you can pick a team that you want to join. Ninja Lane is always open to anybody that wants to participate. But there are some other teams out there, too. I mean, I could shout them out, but... If you log in, you'll see them. Join us. Join us. And then uh, at that point, you are in the rookie status, and you'll be that way for the next three months, uh, as long as you don't um, attrition out or do a cooling method that invalidates you for that that group. I'm guessing if you can afford things like liquid hydrogen, you probably aren't a rookie. Well, liquid hydrogen, that's is that dangerous? It seems like it must be. Yeah. Maybe it's liquid helium. Oh, there you go. Yeah, what is that? That's Adams 2, right? Oh, my gosh. i got to dust that off. But it's not LN2, which is, of course, perfectly safe. Yeah, that is perfect. Don't drink it, though, and don't, don't breathe it and watch your touch animal. Touch it, yeah. pour it on people or things. Okay, maybe it's not so safe, but it is widely available, Yeah, assuming you have the right gear, of course. Yeah, the, the rule is you can't go sub-zero. So you can run um, water cooling as long as you don't dunk the radiator in a bucket of ice water. Um, that's actually something that in the XTU, they want you to pull up your temperature and they'll see what the CPU temperature is, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, as long as you don't do anything below ambient, then you're within the rookie series and then you can enter these rumbles and compete against other people. The next one starts, well, by the time this comes out, it will have already been started. But you'll have between June 4th and June 24th to get out there and show us your stuff. So, hey, maybe you're looking at a x299 platform of your own or maybe you just think overclocking sounds like a little bit of fun if you need assistance of course reach out to us through the forums or our facebook and dennis can share you his many years of experience and hot tips on how to get started because we'd love to see people take that to the next level as an enthusiast and maybe one of these platforms is the way to get there good luck For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2017. Thanks for listening.